I live in a cozy Santa Monica apartment overlooking a charming courtyard. When I first moved in around 13 years ago, another tenant warned me about Nancy, my new next door neighbor. Stay away from her, she said. She's weird, maybe crazy. She might even hit on you. Nancy was a tough, solitary old broad in her 70s, but her eyes always seemed to brighten when she saw me. She loved to peek into my open front door, say hello and chat on our balcony. She took an interest in my life, and having been raised by polite parents in the polite South, I began to take an interest in hers. But I was wary. We did share a wall, and she was a bit odd. I remained friendly, but didn't get too close. Over the next decade, <clears throat> over the next decade, she slowly became disheveled, a bit unkempt. She left the courtyard less and less and had no visitors, save a random delivery guy. I couldn't help worrying about her, so I started leaving things at her front door, seized chocolates, plants, and gifts when I left town for the holidays. It was fun to do and felt nice because she was so appreciative and delighted by the smallest gesture. Then one day, impulsively, I hugged her. I was feeling particularly ebullient after returning home from a vacation. She hugged me back, but within minutes, I was consumed by a torturous itching. The next day, I noticed a small mattress resting against our balcony railing. Nancy said she'd thrown it out because it was full of bugs. <laughs> Apparently, so was I. <laughs> Scabies, to be exact. From then on, I gave her a much wider berth. Her hair went from a short gray bob to a matted single mass above her forehead. Surreptitious glances into her front door revealed darkly stained carpets under a sea of clutter, the walls stacked high with newspapers. Was she a hoarder? I feared another swarm of bugs. She became weaker, thinner, dirtier. She rarely left the apartment. The only stirring of activity in her now quiet corner came from a daily volunteer being lured into conversation with her while delivering Nancy's meals on wheels. I was concerned about her dying in there, so I'd watch the LA Times laying on her doorstep to make sure it was taken in daily. I was haunting, haunting to witness. I could be me one day. I couldn't imagine living my life out like that, and it made me worry about my parents back east my ailing 93-year-old father and my mother, who would most likely end up being the one living alone on their sprawling rural property. When things got worse with Nancy, Kate, my other neighbor, started taking her plates of home-cooked food and chatting patiently with her for long stretches of time on the balcony. I was relieved to see someone stepping in, but I also felt a twinge of guilt whenever I would see Kate headed for Nancy's door with some big covered dish. Should I have been doing more? But it still made me uncomfortable. I needed boundaries. Then one morning, about six months ago, Kate texted me from St. John's Hospital. Nancy had collapsed into her arms the night before it had been admitted. Sensing Kate needed support, I jumped on my bike and zipped over there. And there was Nancy, practically naked, in a loose hospital gown, hair still matted, struggling to speak. But her face lit up, as always, when she saw me. They were still running tests, but later confirmed she'd had a stroke. There was literally no other friend or relative to contact. Kate and I were it. 
Nancy looked like a trapped feral cat, fenced in by the railings of her hospital bed. She could only say yes and shake her head no and looked at us as if to say, save me, fix this. She was usually such an independent old gal. Now seeing her helpless and confused was both moving and distressing. At one point, she reached her arm out to me. I didn't think they'd given her a bath yet, but I wincingly took a chance and held her hand. Kate had to leave for work, and I stayed there for the next five hours. I kept planning to leave, but she was all alone, and the nurses were getting her medication information wrong and had lost her dentures the night before, and we still couldn't find them. Compelled to get involved, I hunted down the social worker, the doctors, discussed her tests. It felt good being an advocate for her. This was something I could do. I was drawn back every day for the next week to work on her progress with the staff and talk with her at her bedside. It would gnaw at me during the day until I went in to check on her. One afternoon, as I was carefully spoon-feeding her some watery broth, it hit me. It was all so intimate. She was so vulnerable and trusting, and I didn't even really know this woman. After weeks in the hospital, she was moved to a rehab facility where I watched in awe as she muscled through physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. I was relieved to see the old Nancy returning more and more every day. She went to the facility's makeshift salon and had her hair cut and shampooed. She hadn't looked that good in years. We finally got Nancy's approval to clean out her entire apartment. But once inside, we realized the massive job at hand and basically gutted the place. After hauling away truckloads, we scrubbed and bleached everything else that was left. The landlord jumped in at the chance to clean things up. Carpets were removed, walls painted, fresh carpet put down. Nancy had a little money as a retired pensioner, and we bought new everything, from furniture and bedding to cheerful curtains for every room. I couldn't wait for her to see it. But we were also worried she might hate it, miss all of her things, and go back to her old ways. When she finally did come home, she was speechless, waving her hands in the air with dumbfounded gratitude for her transformed apartment and all the support around her. Nancy received the gift of a new lease on life and a surprising confirmation that people will be here watching over her if she falls. And the whole experience proved to be a completely unexpected gift for me. I loved walking into her recovery room those last few weeks where I would usually find her sitting perfectly still, staring off into space. I'd quietly say hello and pull up a chair. She'd relax into a broad smile, reach out, and take my hand. I talked with her about her childhood, her life, the bright floral love seat waiting for her in her new apartment, and her dream of adopting a kitten. She spoke in hushed, confessional tones about her brief marriage and her regret for the young husband whom she'd pushed away. I took it all in, and I told myself to go out and carpe diem, and not only to seize the day, but to seize love. Things slowed down when I sat there with her. Everything was distilled into listening and connecting. She helped me become more patient, kind, and to enjoy feeling needed. 
a month ago, my father died of a massive stroke. And as I anticipated, my mother, at least for now, is living on her own. Everything is strangely different and sometimes scary. When my father's health started failing, I halted plans, left work, and took multiple trips home. Because for the first time in my life, my parents, like Nancy, needed my help. I've been spending much more time with my mother these days. And when I can't be with her, I call. And I'm so happy to simply sit and listen to her soft southern voice slowly telling me all about her day. Thank you.